Father, you are the source of our everything. God, and when our souls are weak, when we feel empty and alone, God, you do indeed revive us. You awaken our souls and remind us that we are not alone, that we are loved and we are cared for, and that, God, you're doing a great work in our lives, and, God, we know that you use men to accomplish your purposes. We acknowledge that you use us to influence other people, to show them God, our, our light that is within us, God, the light of Jesus Christ that exists within us, we know that you use us. Lord, sometimes we just don't feel worthy of being used. Sometimes we feel so inadequate. God, we feel so dirty and unclean. Lord, but I also know this, that because of your son, Jesus Christ, we are new And we are righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done. So in that, we can rejoice. In that, we can be revived. In that, our souls can sing. So, Lord, I just thank you for that truth today. Lord, as we open your word, we know that this precious word has has the chance to change our lives. And if our hearts would be open, God, if we'd listen closely to that Holy Spirit, God, we can be changed forever through this word. So, Lord, I pray that you do that. Only you can do that. Lord... I'm asking you to use me as a a mere man, God, to do the best I can to tell your people what this word says. God, to just simply read it and listen to your Holy Spirit. God, as you speak, God, I pray that everybody would be tuned into your Holy Spirit and not to me. God, this is your time. Lord, help us to focus on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I... uh, We've been talking about a new series here, Though You Slay Me, and we've been talking about depression. Um, and I, I, you know, Typically, when you talk about depression, you don't start off with a funny story, but today I'm going to kind of start off with a funny story, okay? Do you ever feel inadequate, like uh, nothing you do is, is ever going to be right? Like you get in one of those places and like I make one bad decision after bad decision after bad decision and like I I never find the lucky penny, luck never turns up in my favor. It's like it's just one thing after another and it's like you get beat down and beat down and beat down. It's like I was just trying to do something good and this is what happened. I mean really, I mean this is a place I end up in. I was just trying to do something good. Well, I kind of sort of had one of those experiences yesterday. So you guys may or may not know, but I own a 65 Mustang, and it's kind of like my project car. I like to do stuff with it. I like to play with it. I'm not super mechanical, but I can watch YouTube, right? So I, I know how to do stuff, you know? So anyway, so yesterday, I decided that I was going to fix the fuel gauge because I really don't know how much gas is in it at any point in time. Every time I drive it, I assume that it uses all the gas because it probably does. But anyway, I go and I fill it up every time I drive it because the fuel gauge is broken. So I thought what I would do was replace the sending unit, which is a little thing that goes in the gas tank that tells the, 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 the gauge how much gas is in there. I thought I would replace that, right? So that was my game plan yesterday. I bought the stuff from mustangsunlimited.com. They didn't give it to me by free. I'm giving them a shameless plug there. But anyway, so they, uh, they sent that to me. I got it in the mail. And I was stoked about getting this in. I'm finally going to get my gauge to work, and things are going to be good, right? So yesterday, I had to drain all the gasoline out of my tank so I could put this sending unit in there. And I was like, man, this is going to be good, man. This is, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to finally get my gauge working. You know, I've been waiting on this day, and, and, and things are going good. I take the old one out. I get the new one in there, and I'm like, all right, this, this is good. It's really good now because I got everything. Nothing, like, fell apart in my hands, you know. I didn't, I didn't get gasoline in my face. Like, everything's okay, you know, and, and it's good. 
So I put a little bit of gasoline back in it out of the, the container that I kind of saved some of the gas I had to drain out of the, the tank. And I, I, I put it back in there, and I got just enough to go to the gas station to get more gas in it, right? Because it's going to be pretty low. I drained all of it out except for a little two-gallon jug, and I put that back in there. So I had to get some more gas. And uh, when I got in, y'all, I cranked it. I cranked it, and number one, it cranked. Okay, so that's a good day, number one. I worked on my car, and it cranked, so that, that's a good day. But then, but then on that, I saw the little gas gauge. It, like, moved just a little bit. It was like, oh, yeah, it's working. Something's happening here. The little gauge moved a little bit. That's a good sign because I didn't have much gas in it, so it just had to move a little bit for me to be excited. So I take it to the gas station. Now, every time I take my 65 Mustang to the gas station, there's somebody that's going to compliment it, okay? I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm just saying it's a cool car, and people like it, and they talk about it, okay? So anyway, so I'm there, and I, I park it. like I'm, I back up to the little pump thing because the gas, where you fill it, is in the middle. You know, like y'all probably don't remember that, but it's in the middle. Some of y'all remember that, but it's in the middle. So I, I, I got it there, and, and, and like things are going good. I'm pumping gas, you know, and then I hear it. I hear that sound, that all too familiar sound. I hear a guy go, hey. I'm like, oh, he, he wanting to check out my Mustang. I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, like, like, hey, take a picture, bro. It'll last longer, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I like it too, you know, and, and, you know, I've had people, you know, stop me at the gas station to talk about it or whatever. What kind is it, you know, like, what year is that, 65, you know? It's got a, the stock 289, now it's got a 302, you know, and I'm like chit-chatting with them, you know, and. But I hear that familiar, hey, and I'm like, oh, that's the bro wanting to check out my ride. Okay, all right. I'm like, I'm sitting there pumping gas. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he goes, hey, bro, you leaking gas out on the concrete. He said, I think it's full. You pouring gas all over the, all over the kangaroo. It's soaked with gas down here. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I just wanted to put a little extra in it just to see how much it would hold. So, so I, I freak out. I'm in freak out mode because I don't know what to do now, you know. So I hang up the little thing in the, in the hook and I, I crawl up under there and I'm trying to fix the little sending unit, see if I can tighten it up. Well, something's up with the seal that's underneath there and it ain't tightening and gas is just, I mean, I'm soaked in gas. I got gas up my arm. Like, like I am soaked in gas. And by the way, okay. In case you don't know this about gasoline, it does not, the smell does not come off very easy. Some of y'all know that, but some of you don't. Oil and water do not mix, and there's no way to wash gasoline off. Okay, I have taken 18 baths since yesterday, and nothing is getting a gasoline smell off of me, okay? Uh, I got a compliment this morning. You smell good. Well, that's because I took a solo cup full of cologne and poured it over my body this morning to try to kill the gasoline smell. So, uh, anyway, so... So I, I'm, I'm crawling up there. I'm trying to fix it, man, and gasoline is pouring. I mean, it's like just pouring out, you know? And apparently, uh, because I bought the premium gasoline to put in my Mustang, apparently it, it, it smells just like the regular stuff, by the way, in case you're wondering. It, it ain't no different. It's just more expensive. So anyway, so I'm under there, and the, guys, the guy that had yelled at me to tell me that it was leaking, he goes, hey, man, you need some tools? And I was thinking, bro, unless you Billy Mays and got some Flex Seal, there ain't nothing we can do with some tools right now. I don't know what kind of tools I would use. You know, I, I need a big stinking towel is what I need, you know. And uh, so, so I just, I didn't know what to do. I just jump in it and I, and I take it down the road because I'm like, it's going to pour gasoline everywhere. So finally, I just, I park it somewhere close to the house so it can pour gasoline in my neighbor's yard. And, and so it's, 
um, it, it, so I had to wait basically until most of the gasoline had dripped out, and, and then I finally got it back to the garage, and it's, that's where it sits. It's uh, uh, that sending unit. It's, the new one is in there. The, there's still a bad seal there, so I can only drive around with about that much gas in it, and then, and then uh, it's going to pour out if I do that. So anyway, hopefully today I bought some stuff, and hopefully today I'll get that, get that situation resolved. But man, I was just like... You know, you feel so good. You're like, man, it's going good. I'm going to have some stuff happen today I've been waiting for. And then it's like one bad thing after another after another. You know, I thought that dude was going to compliment me on my ride, and it just turned out he was just telling me that I was pouring gas all over the kangaroo gas station. So it's just like sometimes in our life we feel like that, don't we? So we talk about depression. We talk about uh, the way we feel sometimes. Um, you know, I, I talked to you last week about, about my daughter's cancer and, and how devastating that was for me and my family and, and, and some of the depression stuff I went through and some of the times when I, I actually contemplated suicide. I mean, that was real, okay? But there have been some other times in my life where it really didn't take much. It just seemed like all these little teeny tiny little things kept happening and, and I got to a real dark place and a real difficult place and in a real low place in my life. Have you ever been like that? Well, it didn't take like one big thing. It just took like a lot of little things. And before you knew it, you were just like, oh, man, what's going on here? I can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. And, and, and I feel like a little bit, um, we're going we're gonna to look at the story of Elijah a little bit. We, we, we talked about him last week. We talked about how, uh, you know, and I don't know why people do this, but when they talk about Elijah, I know a lot of people like to talk about the consuming of the altar with the bull on it and like sucking up the water and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you hear a lot of those messages, right, where people are talking about that. You don't talk a lot about the depression that comes afterwards in Elijah's life. That's what we focused on. We talked a little bit on the fact that, that he had this, this bull that was consumed by fire by God when he was, he was challenging the prophets of Baal and the pro- prophets of Asherah, which, by the way, I don't know why other people do this. They say something about the 450 prophets of Baal. There was another 400 prophets of Asherah that were there, too. So that means like 850 to 1, you know, and, and he's the only one that's worshiping the one true God of the universe, the Lord God. And he says, look, no longer can you be divided by these, between these, these two gods. You have got to be sold out to one or sold out to the other. But if the Lord, he is God, then worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. So we talked about that a little bit and how God poured fire down from heaven and Elijah's on cloud nine because things are going good. And then what happens immediately after that? Jezebel, Jezebel, the lady with the super sweet name, she comes and she says, you know what? May I be stricken dead if, if by this time tomorrow you are not done as one of the, uh, as the prophets that you have just slain. May, may you be killed that same way. So what does he do? He runs off, man. Elijah, he tucks tail and runs. He gets away. He's scared to death. And he goes and lays under a broom tree. And he's hanging out there. And what is he praying? I mean, this is a prophet of God. This is a man who's connected with God. And, and, and he's, he's, he's praying. He's like, God, take my life from me. Just, just kill me. I, I'm done, man. I, I've had it. You know? And we talked about the angel of the Lord coming and kind of nursing him back to health a little bit, taking care of his physical needs. And, and, and I mean, he's just in a, he's in a difficult place. And, and people like to say that because you're a Christian, you can't ever get depressed. I don't think that's true, y'all. I don't think that's true. You know why I don't think that's true? Because I think there's a lot of Christians in here, and I think there's a lot of people who get depressed in here too. And you can, you can try to convince me that I'm not a Christian one way or another, but, but let me tell you, I know, I know who I, I put my faith and my trust in, and it's not in me, but it's in Jesus Christ. And because of that, 
There's nothing that I have done, but everything that he has done, because of that, I know that I'm a Christ follower. But sometimes I get depressed, and that's reality. And some of you feel the same way. And sometimes it's not some kind of big, major something like cancer, but sometimes it's like little bitty things that just keep adding up, adding up, adding up, and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just so low right now. And we see the angel of the Lord come back and like starts baking him a cake, right? Got him a little glass of water, a few pretzels there on a stone. He's, he's like making it, you know, and, and, and like he goes to sleep for a little while and then he wakes up and there's some, there, there's some more pita bread there when he wakes back up. And like, you know, it, it, he's kind of nursing him back to health. And what does the angel of the Lord say? He says, you got to be ready for the journey that lays ahead, right? Yeah. That's where we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 19. So... The angel of the Lord, in verse 7, says, The angel of the Lord came down again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Now, now what we said last week, and we kind of wrapped up right there, is that there's a journey ahead. And, and I don't know if Elijah was, was on board with that, man. He's just like, what? You know, and, and the, the angel of the Lord said, There's still more, more work for you to do. It's not over with for you. Don't throw in the towel yet. There, there's still, still more work for you. It's just so, so eat something. You're going to need it for the journey that's ahead of you. Now, I find this interesting, right? Let's look at what it says in verse 8. It says, so he got up and ate and drank the food, given, uh, gave him strength enough to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, now all we know is he got up and he went. Now, one thing we know is to get to Mount Sinai from where he was, it does not take 40 days. If you were to travel that distance, it does not take 40 days. But I think, you know, you ever heard about somebody wandering around the wilderness for 40 days, you know, or 40 years, you know? I mean, like, there's, there's all this, this symbolism here, you know? So there's, there's a good chance that what Elijah did in his darkness, in his depression, is that he floundered around a little bit. He didn't go exactly where he thought he was supposed to go. It took him a little while to get there. It took him 40 days, as a matter of fact. And God had prepared him for his journey. It turns out that we don't even know if that's where he was supposed to go. It just says that's where he went. That's just where he went. Now, I don't know if in this place that he was in, he, he was not tuned in to God or he was running from God or if he, or, or if he just decided he, he was going to do something else and he was confused about where he was supposed to go. But all we see is he got up and he went to the mountain of God. Now, maybe he was seeking. Maybe he was searching, trying to find something. And maybe that's the reason he went to Sinai. I don't know. But he went and it says he... Uh, he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, no, that's no good. If the Lord says to you, why have you come here? That probably means you're in the wrong spot, don't it? It probably means, uh-oh, I made a mistake. It took me 40 days to get here, and now I'm here. And the Lord said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, now there... There are all kinds, look, I know you can listen to about a 40, 40 million different preachers and read 40 million different commentaries, and I'm going to do my best to give you what I see in this scripture. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know everything that's here. All I know is what God has shown me as I studied this scripture, and that's what I'm going to try to tell you today. That's all I know, okay? All I know is that he goes to a cave after traveling around in the, des the desert for a while. He's at Sinai. He's there, and the Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? As Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. 
So what does he do? Hey, he reiterate, reiterates his, his sadness. He reiterates what's going on in his life. And he's like, look, God, I've served you, man. I've, I've done what you've told me to do. I've done my best. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And, I, you know, you may wonder, like, what do you mean? Like, when, when the prophets of Baal and Asherah, when, when, they, when they were finally killed, what did all the people say? The Lord, he is God. And they repeated that. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What are you talking about, Elijah? It seems like things are going pretty well, that God's accomplishing through you what he set out to accomplish. But that's not where his mind is. And we talked about last week that our mind tells us a lot of lies. That that sometimes we aren't listening to the voice of God, but instead listening to ourselves. But the good news for Elijah is at least he's talking to God about what he's, what he's going through. At least he hasn't broken down the communication lines altogether. At least he's still talking to God. He's just not seeing things right. Let me tell you something, y'all. Sometimes we get in a place where we don't see things right, and our perspective is broken down. We're not, we're not seeing things the way God would see them. We're not seeing things even the way other people would see them. All we've done is let our our lives and our mind accumulate in such a way where it affects our vision, right? That's what happens. We we start to see things a different way because our minds are so clouded with the lies that we've told ourselves that before long what happens is we don't see things the right way. And I believe this is the place that Elijah's in. And there has been times in my life where my mind has been so clouded by the lies that I've told myself that I could not see clearly. And I know I talk a lot about my, my daughter's situation and, and because it's so, it's so easy for me to connect those times of depression. It's so easy for me to connect those in my mind, things I've experienced myself. You know, when I talk about depression, I can't help but to go there. And I can remember distinctly. Uh, we, we took a couple of trips to Disney World while she was sick. She, she battled with cancer for about 15 months. And during that time, we tried to maximize every minute that we could. And we took a, a few trips to Disney World and... The happiest place on earth. I mean, it really became a, a living hell for me in a lot of ways. I would be there, man. I'd be there. And she's having a good time because she's at Disney World. And she doesn't understand the gravity of the cancer that she has, or at least not to my knowledge, she doesn't understand. And, and she's just happy she's getting to go to Disney World. And, and I should have been happy too. But there would be times so where I'd see her. And I would see her eyes, and I would, I would think, man, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen in six months or a year. I don't know. And I, I, would, y'all, I would run away. She would be there with the family, and uh, I would disappear. And I would go into the, the bathroom, and I would bawl my eyes out. I would bawl my eyes out. Because instead of enjoying that moment of being there with my daughter and the time that I did have, I was so focused on what might be, what could be, what the possible future might hold, right? Do you ever been in that place where you're like you're so stinking consumed with what might be that you don't even take time to enjoy what is? And you get so clouded by, by telling, I mean, you get worked into this frenzy of, of thinking about, well, this could happen, then that could happen, then that could happen, then that could happen. And who knows, man? Who knows how, how terrible things could really be? And we let that junk accumulate in our lives and in our minds, and then before long, it starts to affect our vision. When if I would have really just taken the time to stop for just a minute and said, look at this. 
Look at this little girl, how happy she is. Praise God that she's happy. Praise God that I get to spend 10 more minutes with her. Praise God. And God had to do some work on my heart so that I could say at her funeral, when I spoke at her funeral, I, all I could say, there were two words that stuck out at her funeral, and that was praise God. Praise God. She had passed, and, and she was laying in a coffin in front of the, of the altar there at the church, and, and all I could think was praise God. Praise God. Y'all, there's nothing sweeter. There is nothing in this world sweeter than worshiping God in the middle of the worst, most difficult trials that you could ever imagine facing. When you put the lies aside and you stop allowing yourself to tell yourself lies and you just say, you know what? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. For just a minute, just Jesus. And the work God can do in you and through you at that moment in time, it is a miracle. You know, we just sang about moving mountains and, and how I know you can do it again. You know what? Sometimes the mountains, they aren't just physical mountains, but they're mountains that we build up in our hearts. They're things in our minds that need to just be moved, <clears throat> need to be taken aside, need to be destroyed, need to be wiped out. And those are the real kind of mountains where God grabs those things, man, and he just shakes them apart. And you're like, only God could do that. Only God could move that kind of mountain in my heart. Only God could move that mountain of lies that exist. Only God could destroy those things. Elijah's at this place. He's, at a, he's in a cave, and he's, he's crying out to God. And God speaks. I promise you God speaks, y'all. When you're at a desperate place, when you're in a place of depression and sadness and you don't know if God's there, I promise you he's speaking. I promise you he's speaking. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast of the rocks. We're torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes God's in the fire, you know. We know that the Holy Spirit, when it descended on the disciples, uh, that it was like a tongue of fire is what it says in the Bible. And we know that God was in the fire when fire descended from heaven to consume the altar. When the, the other prophets were there, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and, and Elijah was there praying to God. We know that God was in the fire. And, and we know that God's in the earthquake too, that, that the earth shook when Jesus finally gave up his life, when he finally took his last breath. We, we know that the Holy Spirit's like a wind. We don't know where it goes to or from. We just, we just know that it's there. God's in the wind. He's in the earthquake. He's in the fire. And sometimes he does these miraculous things that, that we are just overwhelmed with. And we cannot deny that that is God moving and God's done something great. Because he is so powerful, it just shakes us to our core. And we're like, oh man, this is incredible. This is God. But then there are other times. There are other times when uh, 
It's just this small, still voice, this whisper. And God's there too. God's there too. You see, um, in our journey through cancer, there was this one time where uh, I remember we went to get a scan after she'd been doing chemo for a little while. We went to get a scan, and, uh, and the doctors, man, they said, we don't know how to explain it, but whatever tumor she had there, it's gone. So we had had surgery already to have it removed. It had come back a little bit, and so we, we went to have another scan to see how bad it was and how bad it had come back, and they said, it's gone. It, whatever was there before is not there now. And, man, we were screaming and praising God and worshiping God. And we were like, this is an awesome God. He can do amazing things. And we were praising him like we never had before. But let me tell you something. She ultimately passed. She passed. That cancer did come back. The tumor grew. It consumed her her whole brain pretty much. And when she was laying there and we were watching her heart monitor and we were seeing the last few beats of her life on that heart monitor... And the room was completely silent, even though it was covered up with doctors and nurses. And I could just hear a small, still whisper in my ear. I haven't left you. I haven't gone away from you. I didn't stop listening to you. I still care. It wasn't a big, thunderous, loud, booming voice. But it was just a whisper that I needed to hear. I'm still here. I'm still here. I know that sometimes we want God to show us some miraculous sign. We want him to like, I don't know, stop the sun where it is or, or have lightning bolts strike or something so that we can know that God's there. You know what? Sometimes he just whispers straight to your heart. And he says, I'm here. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still here. I've been in the hospital room with you every single night when you stayed up for three days and you haven't slept because you knew that she might take her last breath. I've been here. I saw, I saw you when you stayed up all night and you cried all night long. I was right there. I haven't left you. I've been here the whole time. I don't want you to tune out that voice because you're so consumed with everything that's going on around you. I want you to listen to that voice. I want you to tune into that voice. I want you to hear him when he speaks. That's why I stand up here and I tell you my story, even though it makes my chest hurt, literally, to tell you my story. It's because I want you to listen to that voice. I want the people on the podcast to listen to that voice. I want people to know that that voice is there and he is constantly speaking, that you can listen to that voice. No matter what lies you've told yourself, no matter how you've let the world suppress you, you can still listen to that voice. And the voice challenges Elijah again. Let me say something that, that, that God here, he says, and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah again replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So God is trying to show him that there's more work to do. What are you doing in this place that you're in, Elijah? Where are you going? Why are you here? 
And all Elijah can do is talk about his situation again, the place where he thinks that he is. Like, they've killed all the other prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're going to kill me too. And we get so confused sometimes thinking that we have all the answers, don't we? Thinking that we're going to fix ourselves. That's what we That's what we think. We think we're going to fix ourselves. That is the biggest lie you can tell yourself. You cannot fix yourself. You know, I, I, I invite people to come down to the altar and pray. You know why I invite them to come down to the altar and pray? Because they need to acknowledge that they can't fix themselves. You can stay at your seat and pray. You certainly can, and that's fine. And you can acknowledge that from your seat. But there is something so refreshing and so humbling about being down at an altar, acknowledging before God and before men that I can't fix myself. I can't fix myself. You see, those times at Disney World, I remember distinctly waking up in the morning time. Waking up in the morning times, and we were... All in this one big house, man, and things were good. And Kenneth was loving being around her family and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I remember laying in the bed just crying my eyes out. Just crying my eyes out. I wanted to fix everything, y'all. I wanted to make everything better. I wanted to make it all right. I wanted to fix everything. And God just spoke to me. He said, I'm in control. I'm the one... That has everything within my power. Now you can lay there and continue to cry your eyes out. And can can continue to to cry because you can't fix everything. Or you can enjoy the time that I have given you. With your little girl. That every single moment that you have is a gift from me. You get to choose. You get to choose. And oh that was so heartbreaking to hear. Yes, it was freeing. It was such, such a liberating feeling to be set free from that. But at the same time, it was so heartbreaking to hear because I knew. I knew that I was the one doing it to myself. It wasn't God that was doing it. I was doing all this stuff to myself. I was the one that was telling the lies. I was the one that was letting myself, my mind, control everything about me. And I just needed to give that to God that ultimately, whether she was healed or whether she was not, whether she was healed on this place or whether she was healed when she was in his presence, either way, it was in God's control. It was in God's control. And he's the one that had my life in his hands. And so many times we forget that. Do you understand how liberating it is to know, to know that he's in control? I'm not just talking about saying he's in control. I'm talking about knowing he's in control. And then all of a sudden, those lies don't have as much power over you anymore. You know why? Because those lies, try to give, you try to give yourself the illusion of control. The illusion of control. And the reality is, you can just give it to him. Say, here it is, God, here's my life, here's everything in it. The good, the bad, the ugly, it all belongs to you. You are in control. I'm not saying you won't shed any more tears. I'm not saying you won't hurt anymore. But I'm telling you, it'll be a different kind of tears, and it'll be a different kind of hurt. And there will be a rejoicing in your heart that finally when that last bleep goes off the heart monitor, that you can praise his name and you can pray and thank him for the moments that you had. telling you that's real 
And Elijah, he'd been up in the mountains. And now he's complaining to the Lord again about his situation. And the Lord starts talking to him. And the Lord said, the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. There's a good indication that he hadn't gone the right way, right? Go back where you came from, okay? Start over again. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be the king of Aram. And anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from the town of Abel Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So what's going on here? What is God saying? Now there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that we could pull out of here and we could probably talk for hours about it. But this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to summarize this just a little bit to tell you. You know what God was telling Elisha in this moment? There's still work to be done, Elisha. There's still things that you need to do that you're going to be part of, that you're going to accomplish in your life. And one of them is actually going to be that you're going to find something to replace you as a prophet. You're going to find somebody, Elisha, to replace you as a prophet. And that's what's going to happen. And you're going to be part of anointing him as the next prophet. You're going to be part of passing the torch. I want you to realize something in our lives, that that we have such short-sighted views of what's going on. We only look within the confines of this lifetime, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years maybe, your lifetime. We look and we see, all right, there's something to accomplish in that lifetime. Maybe that's something to accomplish in your lifetime is to pass the torch on to somebody else so that that can be passed on to somebody else so that that can be passed on to somebody else. So when you look at the picture of generation upon generation upon generation of people that will be impacted by this Lord God Almighty, you start to say, you know what? Maybe I'm not in control as much as I think. Maybe this depression that I suffer from is not from God. And maybe, just maybe, what is happening here is God is allowing me to see that there is still more work for me to do. There are still things that are going to be done. And I'm going to be witness to them. That God is still going to do a great work. And that ultimately He is in control. Isn't that so comforting to know? That he is in control. That there is still things that he is going to accomplish. He says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So these are people that, 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 that have never done that. They, you've forgotten, Elijah. You think that everybody's against me, but you've forgotten. There's still a ton of people that haven't done this. You're not seeing things that I can see is what God is saying to Elijah. You're not seeing what all there is left to accomplish. You've been so short-sighted in your vision, looking at just your situation right here, right now, that you've forgotten the bigger picture. You've forgotten the bigger picture. That happens to all of us, y'all. That happens to all of us, because we look at our life and look at our situation, and we don't often see the bigger picture. We don't often see that the work that God has set out for us to accomplish could have an impact on generations to come. We don't see that. We don't see the bigger picture. Why? Because we are so consumed with right here, right now, that we can't see that. I can remember one time, kind of share this story with you. I remember one time 
So I tried to go to uh, every doctor's appointment that I could with Kenneth. Every time the doctor, uh, the doctor would have an appointment with Kenneth. God, I'm sorry, it's so hard. Every time there was an appointment with Kenneth, I tried to be there. I wanted to be. But there was a couple of times I couldn't be. And one time in particular, I remember, I remember I said, man, I wish I could be there, but I can't. And I was left back home and they, Kasha and Kenneth went to the doctor and uh, I got a phone call. I got a phone call and Kasha said, uh, Kenneth asked if uh, she's going to die. Mommy, am I going to die? And she said she was not afraid of dying, but she was afraid of uh, afraid of being there without us. And I just got down on my face. I laid on my back in my kitchen floor, and I cried out to God like I've never prayed before. And I cried out to God. I said, God, I just... I want one victory, just one. I just want to see one small glimmer of hope that you're still here and you're still working in our lives. That's when God gave us that victory and the tumor that was uh, once there was gone. Is there a side of me that wishes that the tumor was gone forever? Is there a side of me that wishes that my little girl was here? And would I give everything in order to have her back here just so I could spend another minute with her? Almost. Sure, I'd give every dime I have. I'd give every single thing materially that I could possibly give. But the testimony testimony of her life and how it has impacted people and I know people have given their lives to Christ as a result of her testimony I couldn't give up those there's a bigger picture here y'all so much bigger yeah I want her here and I beg God for her life but the reality is there's a bigger picture bigger picture is that he's in control and that he's using us and there's still more work to be done and yeah it's painful and yeah it hurts I get it trust me I get it but take a step back for just a minute and see what God's doing in your life see how God's using you see how he's using your pain it's not meaningless it's not meaningless father God, we get so short-sighted in how we see things so many times. God, we don't look at things the right way. We can't see the things that you see. God, but you give us these tiny glimpses, Lord, these little few minutes of hope from time to time when, God, we see you at work. And, Lord, I thank you for those times. I thank you for those times. Lord, I thank you. I use Kiss's testimony to impact people's lives. And God, uh, 
people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through that. And I just praise you for that. And I do wish I could have her back. I really do. But ultimately, I know that you're in control and you have a plan. So, God, I'm just asking you, use this testimony of Kenneth's life to help somebody see today, Lord, that they are loved and they are cared for. And maybe you would whisper to them today, God, that you are using them to bring you glory and that you're in control. Be glorified now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.